from the PSIA ASI studios in Lakewood, Colorado. I'm George Thomas. You're listening to First Chair. And fun topic today, we are going to be chatting with Murmur Blakesley, who is one of our recent winners of the Educational Excellence Award. Murmur, congratulations. It's really great to chat with you. Thank you. It's nice to talk to you again, George. Now, I'd like to start by introducing the award. Um, Educational Excellence Award, it recognizes members who've authored PSIA-ASI educational materials and enhanced the educational direction of PSIA-ASI. Murmur has been a member for over 40 years. She's a dedicated instructor who's inspired many to become better skiers and teachers. Some of her credentials include former member of the PSIA-ASI national team, PSIA-ASI examiner emeritus for the Eastern Division, Nancy Oaks Hall Women's Scholarship Committee member, former Eastern Division Development Team coach, and author of A Conversation with Fear, formerly in the Yikes Zone. At Wyndham Mountain, New York, she created and directs two one-of-a-kind programs, The Fear Workshop and Power Learn. And Murmur, after that introduction, we're out of time. I really appreciate you taking the time to chat. Ha! (laughs) You have got quite the resume. (laughs) So obviously, obviously you love it. And after talking with you, we we spoke about your book and we we had a chat about fear before. Um, But education is really important to you in this job. I would assume learning yourself as well as teaching other instructors and teaching guests. Yeah, I can't help myself. (laughs) I'm addicted to teaching. And, um, as I've said to you before, I give it my all. I just have to. I've been told not to, but I find I can't not give it my all. I just throw myself in. And then what happens is a synergy comes up between you and your students. And everyone, every teacher knows this. The synergy is fertile. It's, it, it generates lots of new ideas, solutions, revelations that you didn't even know you knew. And, um, you know, people talk about it as the learning partnership, but there's a lot more to it. Uh, To cultivate the partnership, I think you have to surrender. You can't come in with a strict agenda, a list of goals, or learning outcomes, as some people call them, one of my least favorite phrases. You can't come in with a formula. You have to, to offer something new to your students something new for both of you. you for both of you to go through something you never experienced before you have to be just wide open actively receptive and not just to the student but also to your own reservoir of knowledge and under and experience um and it's really uncomfortable because you're facing the possibility of risking failure <laughs> you know you have to wait for it to come to you and by, what I mean by it is that partnership, that magic that can happen. That I, you're a teacher, so I know you know that that magic that can happen in learning. And like with any creative act, that can be really uncomfortable. It's scary to take that risk. And <laughs> you're probably learning more than your students, right? But uh, um, and you have to do it every day. It, it's a it's a tall order. 
Yeah, it's but that's interesting. what education excellence means to me. Really interesting to me that you bring that up because I've, I've chatted with some examiners this season and that is something that's come up in every one of our discussions is I learned so much from the people who are going through the assessment. Yeah, yeah. I, I think of assessments or exams as a big checking for understanding for our organization. Um, I And we we finally hear what we're saying and how it's understood. And sometimes we're shocked. And that's how, that's how PSIA keeps growing. I've often said um, that where you find controversy in PSIA, where people get really upset that we're quote unquote inconsistent, that's where we're evolving. And that's kind of cool that we're a constantly evolving organization. I often think of um, PSIA, Ozzy, I, I forget Ozzy a lot because I grew up with just PSIA. Um, it's a huge pool of teachers and mentors to choose from. And that's beautiful. It's this enormous pool of knowledge to take from and give back to. And because of that, it's ever-evolving, ever-changing. A pool, like It's like a pool with a spring feeding it, but also, just as important, I'd say, a drain going out. Now, one of the hurt words I've heard you use a few times is fear and scared and scary. I think about fear with skiing and snowboarding and learning, and we have a lot of fear to overcome when people are coming out for a lesson. There's fear of how I'm going to look in front of my family members or how I'm going to look in front of strangers. Uh, there's fear of learning a new skill or sport. I don't want to get hurt. There's fear of going into an assessment. There can be fear of going to a clinic where you think, oh my gosh, everybody else is going to be better than me. And I know that's a huge question coming up here for you, but how do we learn to deal with fear? I mean, fear of one thing, is it, I assume that uh, a lot of our coping mechanisms are the same. <laughs> I can't answer that question. <laughs> I have to admit to you, I have 15 hours of material in my head about how to, how to deal with fear. Uh, I, I guess I could say, start by reading my book. <laughs> um, you know, the first step is, is though, no matter what, is acceptance. And uh, I have, I, I feel like um, that's the first step to start learning how to talk to ourselves about fear. And because I grew up as a ski racer, I think fear wasn't something I ever associated with skill level or or uh, like being lesser, a lesser macho human being, right? <laughs> it was quite the opposite. I, I thought if someone had never been frightened, hell, they hadn't gone steep enough or fast enough, you know? So I've always associated fear with understanding and awareness, understanding of yourself and awareness of how skiing is an emotional sport because it's a risk sport, no matter your skill level. And uh, that's why I started dealing with my uh, fearful students way back in the early 80s. I, I found them to be the smart ones, actually. They understood. They got the mind-heart-body connection that was in skiing and that I felt all the time in skiing as a ski racer. And they were also the ones, to me, with the most emotional courage 
Because, like, as you know, any bloke with a lobotomy can jump off a coir if he or she isn't afraid. But if you're afraid and you still choose to ski, I mean, that takes courage. So I ended up really loving to teach fearful students. I found my fellow ski teachers and coaches were making fun of the fraidy cats, fraidy ladies. And so I went to the private lessons desk and said, give me your frightened. <laughs> and I never imagined what it would grow into. And as I've, uh, you know, said, my, te- my students teach me. So it was my fear students that really taught me how to deal with fear. I know this isn't answering your question. <laughs> Actually, it very much is. <laughs> how do I deal with it? I, uh, but ex- I... I got a little uh, taken away from acceptance. Acceptance first, and and the second is to develop an inner coach that can start the process of responding to the fear. Because basically, uh, well, I'll get to my essence. Uh, if you never strayed out of your comfort zone, whether in life or skiing, it doesn't matter. What kind of meaningful or imaginative life can you live then, right? Fear is an essential part of any life worth living. And we shouldn't try to eradicate it or avoid it. So my focus has always been to develop a robust conversation with fear. And it's, again, about awareness. And as you keep learning about your own fears and your responses to the world and to life, the more differentiated and subtle your conversation gets. And so when I say to develop an inner coach to help you respond, it's, it's, it's someone who can start to strategize how, how to deal with you personally, you as your own student. You, the skier or rider, as your own student. Now, I want to digress a little bit here and talk about you and the award. First, how did you find out about it, and what were your first thoughts? I I can only imagine. Well, it's about time. No. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Eliza was a great messenger. I was on the chairlift with some students, and I was teaching. So... um, I was honored. Oh, first of all, oh, this is good to know. First of all, I thought it was spam call. And so I just was like, I'm not answering this. And I hung up. And then they, it called, they called back. And I saw it was from Montana. And I thought, huh. And so I answered it. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I mean, I was a little blown away. I was. I guess that blown away is um, a, colloquial, a colloquialism for honored, right? Don't you think? Absolutely. <laughs> and <laughs> I was happy. But then I have to admit, I got off the chair and had to go immediately back to work. So I forgot about it for the day because I was working too much. Um, <laughs> but I, I love PSIA and I care deeply too deeply, according to some, I think, about skiing and teaching and learning and fear and mastery, all those things. So it's um, nice. It's a better word. It's satisfying to have that passion confirmed. And I think, too, about our community, I mean, people 
took the time and really recognized you. People sent in nomination letters for you. What's that mean to you? What? what? The, 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 the people question. took the time and really thought highly <laughs> of, of you to write a nomination letter for you to, to uh, be recommended for this award. I know. <laughs> I know. Um, it, it's, it's part of what we do, right? I mean, we're constantly giving out as a teacher, but as you know, because you're a teacher, you're constantly getting twice as much back. And so it's a beautiful thing. I, I felt very, I mean, I'm very grateful. Yeah. So winning this, I assume this is also, you know, like getting your level one, two or three. Okay, well, you know, I've, I've made it now. I, I got this <laughs> award. I'm done. For some reason, I don't think that's you. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> you mean like now I'm old enough to go away? Right. <laughs> <laughs> no. I'm old enough. That's true. And I like age. I'm not frightened of age. I think age is wonderful. I get happier as I get older, but I'm not going away. I, and like when, um, when I try to think, what does it mean? No, I don't know. I'm not, I have no idea what it means because I'm constantly in process and I think about things deeply i chew on them over time so it'll take a few hands few years <laughs> to answer that quick question come back to me in a few years and, and that's where I'll, i i wasn't even to gonna think more articulately about it i wasn't even gonna ask you what it means because i was like i don't know how that can be answered it's kind of <laughs> i guess where i would really like for you to answer that is where do you go from here because there's no way that this is the end of the line for you uh, being recognized for this, I can only imagine you wanting to get even better. Um, yeah, I think I am, I'm addicted to learning. I think that's why I love skiing because skiing gives us a great gift and that it's the, and it offers us an infinite continuum of learning. And I don't mean that in just a big way that, oh, yes, you never stop learning. I mean every single turn, every single run, <laughs> every single top of the turn, bottom of the turn gives us a chance to learn something. And I'm addicted to that. So I uh, never stop uh, learning. I never want to stop learning how to ski. I'm getting better. I'm getting older, so I'm not as strong or as quick, probably. But... I'm getting better. My mom had the best turns in her life at age 82, and she had osteoporosis, and she was half blind with macular degeneration, and she still kept learning, and she had her best turns then. It was really a wonderful model, um, and so I feel like I want to be that way. I, I, I can't help it, actually. I am that way, and teaching is the exact same thing. If you think you're a good teacher, you'll go out and give a lousy lesson and have to reflect and learn about what you did wrong and start to figure it out again. You will never think, oh, yeah, I got the teaching thing down. It's like who could say I got the parenting thing down, right? Your kid is going <laughs> to offer you something that you <laughs> that's going to stump you. And that's how we grow as teachers. If you never had that problem student, you would be pretty lousy teacher because you wouldn't diversify and expand and grow out of your original little womb you were in 
of knowledge, little womb of knowledge that has to be broken and then reframed around that new student you weren't able to reach. So every student comes before you as a gift, really, uh, because you have a chance to learn how to teach better. And I, those are the teachers I like and those are the teachers and that I hire in my program. But that's also the teacher that I am naturally. Even when I do a bad job, I'm always trying. <laughs> I've got to share with you the teaching day I had yesterday. In conclusion, just want to, it was so magical. I had a seven-year-old first timer in the morning and an 80-year-old advanced who'd been pretty severely injured and we were overcoming some injuries. But to go from a seven-year-old first-timer to an 80-year-old uh, very advanced skier, what a gamut. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. And what's so cool about that is that skiing and riding, too. I, I, I'm skiist. I'm, I'm unabashedly skiist because I love the word ski. I hate the word snow sports. It sounds like you're out making snowmen or something. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but, you know, I just sound so generic. But skiing and riding, what's so cool is that their risk level can be modulated so finely that you can go out and just take a walk on the hill, you know? have It's like having tea and cookies outdoors. Or you can scare yourself and almost end and die if you want you know you can go you can do either one and everything in between and that's what's so cool because then a two-year-old three-year-old can ski and an 82-year-old osteoporotic blind mother can ski it's just so fantastic i mean what other sport is like that and then as my son said when he was really little he said, um, I love skiing because there's no win or lose. <laughs> wow. Of course, he wasn't a ski racer. <laughs> <laughs> well, Murmur, anything you have to say to our membership in conclusion? Oh. Oh, you know what? I don't know if you, if I can do this, but um, I met um, a long time ago. Uh, 30 years ago, uh, 40 years ago, I started teaching uh, a person who was famous in the medical field, known all around the world for his work for AIDS and women's health, and he became a dear friend. And then he contracted ALS and couldn't ski anymore. And he told me he missed it more than just about anything else in his life. And, and I wrote just a little thing for him. And I brought it out this year because of COVID, because I feel COVID made me again appreciate what skiing is. So um, if I could just read this little paragraph, I would love it. Is that possible? Absolutely. Uh, skiing is a great privilege, one that without any pretensions of being deep or therapeutic or meaningful or meditative is all of that and more. It is animal pleasure, a solve for the soul, a jolt to the spirit, a merciless school for the ego. <laughs> we all know that one, right? PSIA, S&M, I have often called it. Um, it is full of tangible, sometimes playful, sometimes fearful metaphors for the psyche, but it is undeniably sensual. 
We touch the snow, the mountain, the ground, the earth. And it has proven also to be glue for a community, sticky, warm, and lasting. And that's what this friend taught me when he could no longer ski. I had been a little cavalier about skiing, saying, oh, it's in, you know, I'm going to quit when I'm 40, when I'm 50, when I'm 60. Now I think I'm in for life. But he, he taught me what a privilege it was. And COVID really brought that out again this year. Murmur, I'm it very, is very, very grateful. It has been absolutely wonderful taking the time to chat with you today. And I really appreciate you joining us on First Chair. And I look forward to seeing you at National Academy. Yeah, me too. I'm looking forward to seeing you in person. Murmur Blakesley joining us on First Chair from the PSI ASI Studios in Lakewood, Colorado. I'm George Thomas.